Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. They're the easy invoicing app for small businesses that saves time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBooks users and try the service for free for 30 days of unlimited use at FreshBooks.com. Dot com and be sure to let them know that you heard about it on Twip or This Week in Photo. This week on Twip, Adobe shows off their new CS6 Content Aware Move feature. Pocket Wizard evolves with the Plus 3 model. And can one man photograph every captive species on Earth? It's Wednesday, February 22nd, 2012, and this is Twip. And welcome back to Twip. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we're talking about some crazy new Adobe math. We're talking about pocket wizards and mammals. And to tackle these topics, joining me today are Mr. Rick Salmon and Bruce Clark. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. how you doing? Thanks. Thanks for having me on again. It's fun to be here with Bruce and you. It's awesome. It's always a pleasure to have you on and pick your brain about this stuff, especially on this show, because I know you like to shoot a wide variety of things, and that mammal thing that I, I kind of foreshadowed is going to be an interesting topic. So, Bruce, welcome. And, uh, Bruce, what, do you, what, do, what have you been up to? Well, what have you been up to? Well, we last I think last time I was on the show, we were getting ready to go to India for a wedding. So obviously since uh, since that time, we're back and successfully completed that mission and did a little bit of traveling as well after the wedding, traveled around India and Nepal, and then just been, uh, yeah, well, nose me, to the grindstone. Let me ask you this. So you finished, you finished shooting the wedding. What about the post-processing of the images from the wedding? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh we actually did just just wrap that up a little while ago. Um wow. the couple that we photographed actually uh they live in a different city from us and they were uh, finally able to make it up to where I live in Edmonton and we got together with them over the weekend to show them their images. So that was uh that was good. Now I have still still some more work to do putting an album and whatnot together, but uh all the all the post-processing uh, work is pretty much done. I haven't touched any of my own personal travel stuff yet, but that's that'll come. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but before we move on, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor. This Weekend Photo is brought to you by Fresh Books. You can find them at freshbooks.com. And basically, if you're in business for yourself and you enjoy getting paid for being in business for yourself, they're a service that kind of swings in to help take the pressure off of you to help you get those invoices and dealing with that, that stuff like paperwork and keeping up with people that haven't paid you and reoccurring payments that need to go out, especially if you're like a consultant or something and you're on a retainer and you get paid from a certain client every month a certain amount and you just dread having to go and invoice them and mail them and all that, FreshBooks swings in and does it for you. I've been around since 2004, and basically they're just trying to help you get things done faster so you can get back to what you want to do. You, with the service, you can create invoices, you can email them to your clients, they can pay you right there. So they get the invoice in their email, they can click a button and pay you with a credit card right there. Plus they handle things like timesheets, they run reports, all the stuff that help you make your life easier and your accountant's life life easier. So definitely check them out. If you sign up now, you can get 30 days of unlimited use with all the features, all the client staff, everything, no limits. Just sign up at freshbooks.com and be sure to tell them that you heard about it on Twip. We appreciate that. Again, if you sign up right now, you can get 30 days of unlimited use, all the features, client staff, everything, no limits. Just sign up at freshbooks.com. All right, guys, before we jump into the feature story that I want to talk about, uh, Rick, uh, I heard a rumor that you're in the New York Times today. Yeah, I am in the New York <laughs> Times today. It's what is cool. going on? <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, interesting. You know, my mother told me, Frederick, that when I was uh, six years old, she said, you never know who's watching. And this is like really good advice for people who publish stuff like on blogs, on Google Plus and whatever. So I publish so much. So I did a workshop down in, uh, in South Beach. Actually, it was in Florida. Uh, we started in uh, St. Augustine, then we went to Merritt Island, Delray. We wound up in South Beach, and I took a shot, and I enhanced the shot with uh, 
with the Spicify, well, they say Spicify filter in a, in a plugin, Photoshop plugin called Topaz, uh, Topaz Adjust from oh, yeah. Topaz Labs. Mm-hmm. And I published it on. And the, uh, and the editor of GadgetWise, or one of the writers for Gadget, Gadget Rise, GadgetWise, uh, saw the picture and said, hey, this is cool. Let's do a before and after shot. So you know, you got to put stuff out there, and you, ne- you never know who's watching. I mean, it's kind of cool to be in the New York Times, and the, the writer found it just by uh, going on my blog and the search so that is my great. advice to the people you know publish as much as publish or perish yeah publish i like that publish or perish so so i'm looking at the image right now and they've got a nifty little javascript thing on there where you can slide the right. uh, vertical bar back and forth over the image to see what it looks like before post-processing and after so just just a little bit about this image and we'll link definitely link to this in the show notes but how long did it take you to go from the before of this image, which looks, you know, I'm looking at the before and it's a fine image, but it's kind of like, okay, you know, there's a wet street with an old car and it's in, you know, clearly in Florida, I think because of the art deco. Then I slide the bar over it to the left and suddenly it becomes something that you can, you could frame. Now, what did you, (laughs) how did you go from A to B? Well, I, I took the, well. First of all, it's funny. I'm a big believer in making making a picture rather than just taking a picture. So we we're, we shot the sunrise in South Beach. Then we're walking along, you know, the uh, the strip there where all the Art Deco hotels are, and they have some really cool cars. So I want to make a picture. We see this cool car, but I'm saying to myself all the time, how can I make it cooler for the students? So I ran between two buildings. I got a hose. I turned on the water, and I went out and I and I watered down the uh, the street. So I, we got a nice <laughs> awesome. reflection of the car and the palm tree in the building so we made the picture so then what i did is i I wanted to it was an overcast day so i wanted to basically increase the saturation the color the contrast bring out some of the details and i could have spent you know a few minutes in photoshop trying to do that or lightroom but with topaz adjust this uh spicifier or specify filter you could do it at the click of a mass uh, click of a mouse or tap of a stylus so the the uh roy roy over there liked it and uh thought it looked like a painting. And I, I really stress to my students, you know, think like a painter. We get so limited with our, uh, our, our with all the limitations of photography and lenses and f-stops and ISOs. You start thinking like a painter, it frees you up from the limitations of, of uh, standard photography. Now, now, when I look at this, it, it reminds me of the shot that I did. No, nothing like this, but, I used, you know, I do these photo walks from time to time here in the Bay Area. And I was on this photo walk a couple years ago, and I... Sometimes if I know I'm going to be shooting like flowers or something like that, I'll bring a little spray bottle with some water in it, you know, and just to wet the flower down a little bit to make it give some more some more highlights and some more interest to the image. And once I was doing that, someone were like, hey, you're altering what was actually there. It's not a real photograph if you alter it, you know. So where, yeah. do, where do you fall on that? You actually went and got a hose and wet the well- street <laughs> Well, I said a spray me, bottle from Walgreens. You had a hose and ripped the street down. <laughs> well, yeah. talking about altering the photograph, this is what I say to people whenever I hear that. I said, well, the biggest alterer of all times was Ansel Adams. He, yeah. took, he, he tricked us. He took all the color out of the scene. He made the picture black and white. You know, the world doesn't look like that unless you're a dog. <laughs> <laughs> color blind, right? Yeah. So I'm serious, you know. And, and don't shoot with the wide-angle lens because we don't see the world like that. And don't shoot with a telephoto lens because we don't see elements compressed. So, you know, think like a painter again. A painter's not going to be, you know, listen to, listen to all these rules. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. My, my rule of thumb is, you know, if you're, if you're shooting, like, this is clearly an art piece. It's not intended to be photojournalistic, right? Right, but right. If you're going for photojournalism, then the rules are different. But if you're creating art and just trying to make cool stuff, then they're pixels, like I say, were born to be punished. So right, punish, right. punish without impunity is what I say. <laughs> I'm going to use that. And, and you know what else I'm going to use? <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to use that in my next uh, uh, presentation. So that's very cool. You're very welcome to it. So, Bruce, what do you, where do you fall on this? They say you're out shooting a uh, a wedding. And weddings kind of fall somewhere between photojournalism and art, right? More, Maybe mm-hmm. more so on the art side. Would you feel okay making alterations to an image like this before you take the shot, you know, in order oh. to make it more interesting? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to stop the you know the wedding proceedings, you know, <laughs> to to you know rearrange something or change something. Um, but yeah, is, is you know once that's once that's out of the way and it's uh, our time with the bride and groom, absolutely, we'll you know we'll move things around. I mean, we're 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 consciously doing it 
all the time with our choice of lens or, you know, our choice of angle. I mean, we're tricking, we can trick the viewer, right? By using a certain type of lens to maybe slim down our subject or shooting from above to make them, you know, appear a little slimmer. Every bride wants to look, you know, beautiful and slimmer. So we're, we're always playing those, those types of, you know, tricks, I guess, on the audience yeah. just by our position or our, our lens choice. But absolutely, you know, we'll go into environments and if there's something there, it depends, you know, what I want to go for. If, you know, I might like the garbage can in the scene, but if I don't, hey, I'll, I'll move them or I'll move it out of the scene. I, I have no problems doing that. And if it's a case where maybe it's, you know, I can't move it, I, I can move it in Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of moving cool. things in Photoshop, that was a perfect segue. It's, Thank you. For you like that segue? <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> so uh, Adobe, our friends over at Adobe have released a sneak peek of a new feature in the next version of Photoshop, uh, CS6, which is called content-aware move. Now, we're all familiar with content-aware fill, you know, or maybe you are, and that's where you, you have a blank spot in the image. Say, you know, you wish the sky was a little bit taller or... You know, whatever it was a little bit wider, but you didn't capture that. You can with content aware fill, you can fill that and almost almost flawlessly with with image data that Photoshop looks around. It looks at the image itself and fills in where you want to have filled to make you have you know more image data to work with. Well, content aware move allows you to do something similar, and that's a you know say I'm taking a picture of Rick. Uh, you know, in South Beach, in on a street that he went down, I can take <laughs> I can take that picture of Rick and move him to a different location in that photo. Now, ordinarily, when you move someone in a photo like that, you know, it's not new. You can make a selection depending on how good your selection skills are. You make a selection, you move the person, and then there's a hole there where you cut the person out because. You know, Photoshop doesn't know what was behind the person when you took the picture. But with Content Aware Move, it fills in the blank behind the, <laughs> behind the person when you move them and then blends the new per- blends where you move them in or the, the pixels that you're moving into the new location. So this is like, you know, I saw a video uh, by Brian O'Neill Hughes on YouTube. He's a, product, a Photoshop product manager. And uh, I saw this and I'm like, Wow. Okay. Now, you know, and this is in beta, you know, it just makes it so much easier for people to make changes to images. I mean, you get, and the nefarious sort of things that people can do is just scary. Now, Rick, I want to throw it to you first. Have, have you seen this video? And if not, the way that I describe it, how do you see this working into your workflow? And are you afraid of it? But I have seen the I have seen the video. It's amazing. You know everything photo uh, everything Adobe does is you know like totally awesome. Content aware fill was great. Uh, this sounds like really really cool. Uh, as far as being afraid, no. I, imp- I I tell people embrace everything. Any tool that we have, you know, say say you're shooting a wedding and the bride's you know not in the right place, and someone says you know I, I want to move it over. We could do just more for our customers, more for our clients, more for ourselves in the world of advertising. I think. This is going to be uh, awesome. But, you know, content-aware fill didn't always work. Yeah. I remember the early beta of it. It was, it was content, you know, almost aware fill. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, I sent you a link to uh, a little video that, uh, you know, Dave Cross, one of the uh, Photoshop kids. Yeah, Dave Cross is a great guy. I, I just did a, workshop, a lighting workshop with him down there in his uh, awesome studio in Oldsmar, Florida. Named after the guy who started Oldsmobile, by the way. A lot of people oh, don't know that. I did that. not know that. Oldsmar. Really? Anyway, he has a little video where he has a couple of tricks. Without going into it, you know, we could just leave the uh, – maybe you could just put the link to the show notes. Yeah, but we'll he has. But he has a way to make it always work, that if you have like a, a reflection, and this was a demo that I saw him do, if you have a reflection like on a car and you want to take out that highlights and, it, and it's right next to a light or something, he has a, a technique for doing this with layers. and it's, it's really awesome. So I would suggest everyone check out this link because it's amazing. So I, I'm interested to see what Dave Cross is going to be doing with this. But I think it's, uh, I think it's awesome. So, Bruce, what, when... Or, or are we already like well past the days when we could actually trust a photo? I mean, you know, it sounds it sounds elementary. Like, okay, when Photoshop was in, introduced, depending on your skill level, you could manipulate a photo to look like it didn't, it wasn't manipulated. But now, it it looks like you don't. You know, I don't want to say you don't need any skill, but it's much much easier to make a convincing looking edited photograph now. So, is are the days just completely? you know, destroyed where we could actually even trust any photograph that we look at? 
Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think we're at that. I think we're at that stage. I was uh, saying, and when I was putting the show notes together, you know, are we, are we creating Photoshopographers mm. or are we creating photographers? Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's so many, you know, of these tools that are at our disposal now that make it, like you say, you know, like Rick said, so, so much easier now. Um, and it seems like every release they, they, you know, they had content to wear scale and then they did content to wear fill. Right. Now they're doing content to wear move. I don't know what's next. Maybe content to wear, you know, make everybody beautiful. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> content to wear aesthetics. Yeah. Content to wear aesthetics. Um, but I mean, the one thing I find with these, you know, the tech demos always look amazing. And what I found is in real practicality, when I go to use some of these tools, they, they work and they're certainly amazing, but they don't work every time. And, and what, you know, my challenge is always there's so much to know in Photoshop. It's such a, a deep tool that, you know, like uh, Rick was mentioning that Dave has, you know, had that video and shows some different tips and, and tricks and ways of using some of these that sometimes I think people get very tempted. They see the tech demo and think, oh, okay, it's just going to be a simple selection move and away you go. But sometimes it's not always that easy depending on the subject and what you're trying to achieve in the photo and how complex it is. Sure. Um, but it's certainly, I mean, you see these you know, you see these things and it's it kind of blows your mind when you, when you see it or you show other people that maybe don't know Photoshop or, or, or of what it can do and you show it to them and they're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that, <laughs> that's the that. thing. That's the thing. And Rick, I want to throw it to you. So that, you know, since the content aware and maybe I'll, I'll think differently after I look at this Dave Cross video um, that you sent over, but. You know, I I still don't use any of these whiz-bang features in Photoshop. I don't know if I'm a Luddite or if I just, you know, I'm just not, maybe it's not, maybe it's because I'm not doing compositing or whatever, but I'm still, I'm still using Photoshop like three, four level features right now. I'm not, I'm not diving into this algorithmic imaging type stuff that they're doing. Now, is it, is it that, you know, I know you can't answer this about me, but is it, is it that, you know, I, I don't need them or am I just... Well, more it, concentrated probably, on the image. I don't know. It, you know. Well, Frederick, it's probably that you don't need them. If you took a picture of a of a whatever for 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 somebody, and the stop sign was off to the left, and someone said, "Hey, Frederick, you know, mm-hmm. if that was in the middle, I would have paid you fifty thousand dollars for the picture." <laughs> you know, you you learn how to do it in a second. Yeah. Right. So, right. Right. But but you know, talking about cheating, and can we not trust a photo? You know, I've been around longer than you. As you know, our friend Trey Radcliffe calls me the godfather. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how many of uh, <clears throat> of your listeners know of the James Van Der Zee. You know? Well, see, I've been around longer than you. Well, he was born in 1886. Yeah, I about wasn't born same, yet. I about wasn't. the same time I was born. <laughs> no, but no, he was born in 1886. He died in 1883. And when I was the editor of Studio Photography in 1979, again, before you were born, I was born before old, 1979. How, how Come old, on. How old were you in 79? I was, uh, I was old enough. I was walking oh. in 79. How about that? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, in 1979, I was the editor of Studio uh, Photography Magazine, and, and we did a story on James Van Der Zee. And talking about trusting photos, he had amazing photographs where he, he did like these ghost images. One I remember vividly was a boy in a casket, and there was a picture of him as like a, a boy like next to it, like a ghost image. So he created these ghost images, you know, back in the early 1900s. Mm. You know, and in the and in the mid, uh, you know, and even in the, um, you know, whenever. So it was amazing. It was amazing what he did. So people were probably saying about James Van Der Zee back then, okay, he's cheating. You know, we can't right. trust his photo. What can we trust? So you know, <laughs> you know. But but then you look at it from the standpoint of photojournalism, and I'm looking at the power. Photoshop is the is the standard right now, right? It's a standard of of if you're if you're doing any sort of serious photography arguably you know you can you can do some really cool stuff with things outside of photoshop of course but the photojournalists and those people that are embedded in you know parts of the world unknown pretty much rely on photoshop to do you know even the rudimentary things that they need to do so when you look at these kind of tools in here does this mean that like just true photojournalism is dead or at least suspect i mean you know i'm I'm looking at this and i'm like if you have some serious ninja skills in photoshop now you know even before content aware move you could you could make an image that was indistinguishable from something that had not been manipulated you know so what does that mean about photojournalism you know can we can we trust a photojournalist you know or all photojournalists as a whole 
Well, I think we have to trust photojournalist, uh, you know, organizations like the New York Times, you know, and, and Time Magazine. You know, the well, Time. Well, I don't want to name names, but some some magazines have gotten into trouble for over photoshopping some pictures mm-hmm. of some very famous people. So, you know, I think the. the 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 organizations, you know, photojournalist organizations, you're going to trust them. But you know, for fun stuff, I do fun stuff, you know, and uh, and I always tell people, and I think it's the, it's important to be honest about what you're doing. So if I'm uh, photographing a coral reef in Belize, Central America, and uh, you know, I could Photoshop, you know, thirty different species of fish on the reef. But, you know, they may not be there at all the time. But if I create a picture with all of them there, someone may go there and say, oh, I only saw six species. It wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be fair. So I think, you know, it depends on the, uh, on the well, it's just like in music, right? You know, uh, you know, we can enhance, all, you know, all the singers' voices, right? A lot of these people, not a lot, some people that we know can't really sing on tune, but they have these machines that make them sing on tune. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Auto-tune. Auto tune, yeah, auto tune. <laughs> but it's just scary. I mean, you look at stuff like you know, we we in the show, admittedly, uh, you know, apologies for folks outside of the U.S. The show tends to be U.S. centric because that's where I live and where I was born and the stuff I know. But you know, you look outside of the U.S. and like at places like North Korea, right? And I remember in I think it was in December um, of last year, North Korea came under fire for restoring order to the Kim Jong Il funeral with Photoshop. <laughs> so right, right. they went in and, and made some changes to make it look more orderly than it actually was using Photoshop, you know? So again, we're looking at images that are coming presumably out of the North Korea PR department f- to the rest of the world. Um, who do we trust? You know, who do you trust? I mean, what if you see an image with, you know, a, a line of Iranian nukes, you know, how do you know what's real and what's not? We have no, I know Adobe tried to, you know, do this image watermarking thing where you could see the tech, you could, you could prove that an image was not manipulated, but none of that stuff really works, you know, in my opinion. I mean, it doesn't really, if someone, you know, who's going to go through the trouble of saying, okay, let me run this image through forensic technology to make sure that it is actually, you know, once you see something on the cover of a magazine or in the New York Times or somewhere, you're going to instantly, at least today, take it as being real. So when, when do we stop that? And how do... How do we trust our eyes? I don't know, Rick. How do how do Rick? How do we trust our eyes right now? Say from today forward, should I be trusting what I see in any magazine, on any website, on any, and for that matter, on television or on uh, you know Netflix or whatever? Should I trust anything? Well, if you if you want to be a total purist, none of these people on uh, on TV should wear any makeup, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? They they don't really look like that in real life. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the that was, it reminds me of a Chris Rock skit. He was talking about how all women are liars. He said, right. "You know, you don't, you're not that tall. You got those heels on. You know, your eyes don't look like that with your fake eyelashes." <laughs> you know? I, I think, I think if you're reading, if you're reading popular photography magazine, you know, you you're, you 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 feel that okay. Well, probably a lot of the pictures are photoshopped, right? But if you're reading National Smithsonian. If you're reading Smithsonian and National Geographic, you probably know that the pictures aren't photoshopped. And yeah. I'm sure the editors, you know, are very strict about that. Got it. Got it. Very cool. I'm not I mean, sure. My, my guess is. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just is just really interesting. Bruce, you have anything, any final thoughts on, on just the overall? I mean, you know, don't I don't want to... I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I love Adobe and I love all this technology and I want to play with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just as geeky as everybody else. I'm just taking it to a level of exploring it from a more where is this stuff going and just how is imagery and the future of algorithmic imaging changing the way that we should perceive images, you know, period. You know, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily from, from a photographer standpoint, but also just from a plain old you know, middle of the nation or middle of any nation in the world, you know, this person that doesn't really care about photography, when you see an image that says a certain thing, is that thing true? And when should we, should, when should we start being suspect of that? You have anything to add, Bruce? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly been, you know, a number of stories. You mentioned the one in North Korea. There was one just recently and I was trying to track the story down and I couldn't find it, but there was a, a photographer somewhere that had manipulated an image. And it, it, there was some birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, these, go ahead, Rick. 
No, I, I didn't see that, but I know someone was disqualified for like a picture of, of a fox jumping over a fence because it was photoshopped. Mm. No, I found it was it was the I found it now. It was the Sacramento Bee, and they um, they suspended uh, Brian Patrick. Um, he had photoshopped two um, photographs together of an egret eating a frog, um, and submitted that. And uh, they sort of found out about that, and of course, uh, you know that didn't look good for the for the paper. Um, so they suspended him. So I think you know the the you know, the newspaper organizations and other media organizations that are le- you know legitimate news outlets. I think still have a vested interest in protecting the, you know those ethics yeah. and calling well, what, those, what about those, it his exactly. crime was getting caught though what about the folks that didn't get caught right <laughs> you yeah. know what are we looking at right now you know oh look at that great image you know i remember uh, someone was showing me an image of um adele you know the singer um and the image of adele was like did not let's just say it did not look like the what adele looks like you know, in person, we've seen photographs of her and the image that they put on, I think it was the cover of Vogue was of another person completely. I think maybe the nose may have been similar to the original, <laughs> but the rest of it was not that woman, you know? So again, I mean, we talked about this a couple of years ago on the show, just, you know, how Photoshop and models and just sort of that world of photography is sort of skewed from reality in terms of what is okay and what's not okay to do. Now, well, if, go ahead. Well, if I could just throw in one more thing. Do you guys know Lee Varis? Yes. Yeah, he wrote this beautiful book, Skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, had the honor, I had the honor of writing it forward. Uh, but anyway, he, one of his uh, many talents and one of his many jobs was uh, he, he was doing movie posters for a lot of the Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And one was, uh, I forget the movie, but it was Angelina Jolene. And she's too busy to pose for, um, for this poster. So they had like a body double come in there. And the body double's like hanging on the wall. And then he put his face in. So it's a movie poster. So they have body doubles in movies. So, right, it's okay to do all this stuff. Wow. That's, I as didn't lo- know as lo- that. Yeah. As, lo- as long as you don't. Uh, you know, photojournalism is different. Movies is make believe. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's the line right there. I mean, if you if you're if you're if you're passing it off as this is reality, like the guy at the Sacramento Bee, then right. uh, then yeah, you deserve to get the get whacked. But if you are uh, if you're creating something that's clearly fictional for a fictional movie with people that make their living making fiction, then you know, don't assume anything you look at is real. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun stuff. I love this. I just, you know, it's a great time to be alive with all this crazy stuff happening. <laughs> great right. to be alive. It's great to be alive. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Uh, story number two, guys, is about Pocket Wizard. So Pocket Wizard has announced the plus three. Now, the Pocket Wizard, for those who don't know, are the guys who create or have created that that uh, radio slave system, radio triggers that allow you, basically you get, a, you get a master and a slave, you plug one into your camera, one into a, uh, a strobe system, and using RF technology or radio, you can trigger that strobe from wherever. Now, how that differs from what you may have on your camera now, like some people may say they have the Canon system that lets you do that, big deal, or the Nikon CLS system or the Sony system, you know, but those use RF technology to my knowledge, at least I know Canon and Nikon do. I'm not sure about Sony. I'm pretty sure it does. But uses that uses uh, uh, not RF or they use, uh, what do you call it? What's it called, Bruce, when you're... Infrared, sorry. They use, infrared, they use yeah. infrared so or, or light, wave, the infrared wavelength of light to trigger the strobes, which means it's line of sight. So if there's something between you and that strobe that and you can't bounce around it, then that strobe's not going off. However, with the pocket, pocket wizard system, it's RF, meaning if you're in range of that radio, then your strobe is going to go off, which opens things up to like shooting from one helicopter to another helicopter or shooting from, you know, shooting dragsters like uh, Joe McNally did in the, in the desert or, you know, all this other crazy stuff that you can do. You know, you can put a strobe in a building and then go stand across the street and shoot that building. As long as the radio can reach in that room where you're shooting, boom, this thing will go off. So Bruce, you want to tell us what the new one does, this new pocket wizard three and why, why people should even care about it? Yeah, so they announced this uh, the plus threes, which are basically the replacements to the plus twos, which for you know a long time have been kind of the industry standard for a lot of photographers. And uh, so this new one, there's a, a bunch of new features with it. Um, it's a 32 channel RF uh, 
trans transceiver. Um, it's got a backlit display. Um, they've changed the ergonomics of it as well. If, if people maybe who aren't familiar with the previous models, the plus twos were you put them on the top, mount them on the top of your camera, but they were fairly wide, so they could obstruct your your view a little bit. So these new ones, they've turned it so it's more of a side profile. Um, so they've changed that, and uh, they've also improved the antenna. So it's now encompassed and built right into the to the body of the device instead of it being this sort of dangly thing that sticks out and has the potential to, to snap and break off. Um, it also has, uh, you can directly control four separate zones with this new Plus 3, and it has a dedicated buttons for each of those things. Um, and then it's got a couple of new um, modes. It has a new long range and uh, something they call the repeater mode. And probably the most, I guess, significant Part of this announcement was the fact that they're coming in at about 139 bucks, uh, which awesome. is quite quite a bit cheaper than the previous models, uh, the plus twos, and even the the multi maxes, which are about 270 bucks. So it's not often you get something new with more features that's less money. Yeah. Now, Rick, what about you? Have you are you a big pocket wizard shooter, or are you mostly outdoors and that sort of stuff? Well, I, I am uh, both. <laughs> I shoot a lot outdoors, and I'm a big pocket wizard uh, guy. What's cool about the pocket wizard is that, for people who don't know, that the camera thinks the flash is still on the camera. So you could shoot if you want to, like I do. Not all uh, professionals do this. Uh, my friend, uh, uh, a lot of my friends uh, shoot on the manual mode, but I shoot on the ETTL mode because I've learned how to use that. I've embraced that. Mm -hmm. So the, the camera thinks the flash is still on it. So it sounds good, and I can't wait to... I can't wait to try it. The other thing about the Pocket Wizards is, you know, you could shoot at really high sync speed. So, uh, you know, outdoors, you know, if you want to make the background go black, you can do that. So that's, that's kind of great. That is great. You know, one thing I'll throw onto this is that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of TWIP listeners use meetup.com to find local, like, model shoots and that sort of thing where you pay a couple bucks and someone organizes it and they bring in a model, they set up the lighting, and typically the lighting is triggered with Pocket Wizard. So you have to – they have the, the slave – um, and you need to bring your own pocket wizard to trigger the slave. So, you know, or beg someone there to use there. <laughs> so, you know, typically the flow is you go and you go and meet up, you search in your local area for model shoots, you find one, you show up, you bring your camera and your pocket wizard, you wait your turn to shoot and you shoot the model, whatever. And then you walk away kind of thing with your, with your shots. So, but, uh, the, the fact that these have come down to $139 from 169 is uh, well, I think I think that's significant. It'll help a lot of folks get these things to get out and shoot those sorts of things as well. And then, like you were saying, Rick, experiment with uh, you know competing with the sun. You know, with these high sync speeds, you can you can make the sun go dark, right? <laughs> no, that's amazing. I take a lot of my people pictures outside. Juan Pons, who's been on uh, on your wonderful show, he takes ninety percent of his bird pictures with a flash. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people, you know, you know, I, I'm known for these one liners. <laughs> You know, I say think flashy outdoor pictures. A flash can improve so many outdoor pictures by compressing that brightness range. Yeah, that's great. Among it's, other things. And, it, and it's all about having control over the light, right? It just gives you understanding high sync speeds and using tools like this just let you exercise more control over light, especially when you're outside, right? Because outside, you, the sun is uh, it's, it's kind of a strong light source, rumor has it. So if you, if you can control it even to some degree, then you can make pictures that, that stand out more so than, than the folks next to you. Bruce, do you, do you use uh, this kind of technology in your work, like when you're shooting weddings or portraits? I do, yeah. I've been using the, uh, their, the smaller models, their Flex, you know, the mini TT1 and, and, and TT5. Something like that. I forget the names of them. The marketing That's departments. It. I, I use those. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, and they. I mean, they came. Uh, Pocket Wizard came under a bit of heat when they first released those for the Canons because there was some issues with RF interference from the Canon flashes. And you know, like I say, I mentioned uh, in the show notes here that you know at one time Pocket Wizard was just kind of the de facto state. Everybody went to the to the Pocket Wizards. But I think they they had some stumbles with those ETTL triggers, the the flex and the. The, uh, the mini mm -hmm. and you know you started to see increased competition from some of the cheaper brands like the radio poppers and and some of the knockoffs from china that could do you know similar functionality but yeah i, I definitely incorporate them into uh into wedding shoots i use them for my studio lights as well to trigger them so definitely curious about these i was going to ask rick and, and maybe you frederick if if you've used these to trigger not only flashes but you can use them to trigger remote cameras have you done anything with that i i have not rick have you 
No, but that sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, I've seen, well, I've heard of people doing that. Like you can, you know, use a use a grip and put a camera, say, on the rim of a uh, or the backboard, um, you know, of a basketball hoop, and trigger it when someone's going up for a layup or a dunk or something, you know, uh, and hope they don't hit your camera. <laughs> but, but yeah, just crazy stuff like that. Yeah, because it, it, you're right, it goes both ways. You can trigger strobes or or camera bodies. It's, yeah. it's just amazing amount of flexibility. We'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes, but there was also a shoot that uh, Joe McNally did, and he used the plus threes to actually trigger two D3Xs that were strapped to the outside of a uh, dragster that he photographed in the desert. And he used this repeater mode to basically set one up, and he was able to trigger uh, these remote cameras and a flash inside the inside the car. And he used this repeater mode with plus threes set up on you know light stand sort of partway down the course. And he was able to fire those cameras remotely from his position as the car went screaming down the desert at, you know, 300 miles an hour. Isn't that crazy? Joe's like a mad scientist. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you take your D3X and strap it to a dragster going 300 miles an hour, Frederick? Um, you know, or no, or? <laughs> I would not. I would not. But I'm not Joe McNally, and I don't have his gear locker. So, <laughs> so My, and there's also I only have one, you know, <laughs> so... And David Hobby did a, a pretty extensive review as well on, on the Strobist website. So we'll we'll link over to that in the show notes too. That's got a really detailed breakdown of what these new plus threes kind of bring to the table. Very cool. Cool stuff. You know, lots of lots of cool tech. And we get you know, we, we talk about gear a lot and I get you know, the last show I, I mentioned to the listeners, you know, please sound off about what you think of, you know, should change in the show and what should we do differently and all that stuff. And I asked them to respond in the comments on the episode two forty one, which they did, of course. And there's lots of comments on there and, and it's funny. I knew you know, listeners, I knew what you were gonna say. You know, you say we talk too much about gear. So Basically, the split is, hey, you guys talk too much about gear. And then the other split was, you guys don't talk enough about gear. And you guys talk too much about Nikon and Canon and not enough about Sony. Oh, you guys talk too much about iPhone. Oh, you don't talk enough about iPhone. <laughs> so, yep. so it just goes on and on and on, which is, I love. I love the fact that our audience is so diverse. And the, the length of the comments on the site, you know, I... You know, you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, these, these guys, you know, people are really passionate. I love that because people are really, they're so passionate because time is money. They'll take time out of their day to write these long missives about, you know, what they like to see change on the show. And I love that because we look at those or we read those and we incorporate the comments where, where we can, you know, into the show. So thanks to all those folks who, uh, who actually gave us comments. We really appreciate it. All right, uh, before we move on to the next story, I want to take a quick moment to remind the listeners, you know, if you want to give us ongoing feedback, we've got a Facebook page and a Google Plus page. If you want to join our conversation, just submit your question or comment over there. On Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash thisweekinphotography, no spaces. Or if you want to find us on Google Plus, just do a quick search for TWIP or This Week in Photo on Google Plus and we'll pop right up there. Okay, uh, the last story that I want to quickly touch on before we get get to the picks of the week is um, Bruce. I'm not going to say anything about okay. this. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but I'm going to blame it not on you. I'm going to blame because I'm looking at the show notes and I'm talking you can about bl- Bru- you can blame me. It's okay. Well, Bruce put the show notes for this show together, and he was looking at um, an article from Mother Nature Network, which we'll link to in the show notes if Bruce doesn't edit it. That's but right. we'll, <laughs> we'll link to it. And I flagged it because I was reading the show notes. And this is, let me read this. I'm on Mother Nature Network's site right now, this article that we're linked to. And it says, uh, to say that National Geographic photographer Joel Sartore has his hands full is an understatement. He's in the process of photographing every single animal species in the world. (laughs) That's, that's, That's what this says on this website. So Bruce put this in the show notes and I'm like, Okay, which world exactly are we talking about? Because the one I live in has uh, how many, Bruce? 1.3 million, you know, or something. Or more than that, you know, depending on who you ask. Millions of species on the planet Earth. So, uh, first of all, I want to call that that site to task and say uh, what you probably meant to say was was 600,000 mammals in captivity. 
is what you want is what you wanted to say because he's not gonna they're not gonna capture everyone on earth but anyway i wanted to uh wanted to give them some some uh some grief about doing that and maybe you know write a little tighter uh but you know the 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 main thing that we want to talk about is i mean there's a couple things on this story but the the first thing i want to talk about is just the idea and rick i want to throw this to you first the idea of when you're say you're an amateur photographer and you know a lot of us take our camera on the weekend and say hey i'm going to go to san francisco and i'm going to go take some pictures and you get there and you're like uh what should i shoot okay the bridge uh fire hydrant uh homeless person uh you know you you go there and you don't you don't have any particular theme in mind but this guy had a theme in mind he's like okay i'm going to shoot every species in captivity on earth what would you what advice would you give to, you know, advanced amateur and amateur photographers about how to like work on a theme to more to focus their, you know, the photography efforts? Well, first I would say don't rush it. Like I know people mm-hmm. who have worked on themes for years. So you may have an idea to, you know, photograph, you know, whatever. But don't rush it. You know, give yourself time. Don't put a don't put a, you know such such a, a tight deadline on. You know, we're in this. You know, we have, we're on the email age. Everyone expects emails to be answered in like a second. You know, and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I think I think personal projects are great. I would say don't rush it and and set a realistic goal. You know, after I read about this, I, I was saying what what personal project uh, would I like if I were you know if I had like a zillion dollars, I would like to photograph as many different cultures. Uh, actually, when I read this, I said, I'd like to photograph every culture in the world. Yeah. It's kind of unrealistic, though. So I said, I'd like to photograph every culture in the United States. So that's a more realistic goal. Mm-hmm. And and what realistic goal, if someone wants to have fun, if they're looking for a personal project, because uh, people say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm lost. I need a goal. You know, what should I do? I say, photograph your hometown heroes. Go to the fire department. Go to the police department. You know, firehouses are a great place to shoot. You know, with the, you could do the close-ups of the helmets and the this and the that and the gear and, you know, picture the truck and maybe go out and, uh, you know, and 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 really do like a good job. That would be a really good personal, I think, a really good, fun and rewarding uh, personal project. And that might wind wind you up, by the way, in the local paper and on you know I on the local TV station. We have like News Channel Twelve here. Yeah. I think it'd be a, a realistic, fun project that would get your work recognized. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a an excellent point because you could you could give yourself a self project. And just say, fill in this sentence, photograph every blank in blank, right? So, okay, I want to photograph every single fire hydrant on my block or you know, right, every, right. every single Starbucks in this particular city or, you know, right. photograph and make it a, make it a set, you know, of something so that you can do a picture story on it or, you know, every, you know, go photojournalistic. I'm going to photograph and do a quick story on every single uh, homeless person over the span of this time in my local geography, you know, that kind of thing and tell that story of how they got to where they are. You know, you could, I think that the main point is to focus things down so that you're not like, okay, I have a camera, I have a memory card, I have Lightroom or Aperture and uh, now what, you know, it's like the blank canvas syndrome bruce where where do you fall on this is it have you ever given yourself a self-project where you just go out and you you photograph every blank in blank yeah um not not specifically i was gonna say you might have a better chance of photographing every species in the planet versus every starbucks in the planet but um (laughs) no but i think whatever you choose you should be passionate about it um i think you know if you if we look back to this story he really has a, a passion he really wanted to document these these animals before they become extinct yeah. and put a, a bit of a human face on them and so he's very passionate that's a that's a topic to him that he's very passionate about and it comes through in the images and i think if you're going to take on a, a a project like that a personal project like that try to look at something that's very personal to you um a friend of mine in calgary uh, chris keating did a project where he went into some seniors homes and photographed um, some seniors there. And then he made a big uh, sort of display and, and sort of a presentation out of it and a gallery showing and made a really nice evening out of it. So that was something that was he was really passionate about. So I think whatever kind of project that you decide to take on, be it large or small, you know, if you choose something that you're passionate about, that you have a real interest in, I think you're going to see that your photography is going to, it's going to shine. So if you're interested in, in music or if you're interested in, 
you know, nature, whatever your passion is, that's what you should try to find a, a project that's related to that. And I think it'll really um, shine through in your photography. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the other piece of this is just the the incredible work that this guy did. I mean, you oh, know, these images are amazing. Joel, Joel yeah. Sartore uh, at joelsartore dot com. We'll put a link to his website in here. But these images are. Well, they're studio quality images for one, either shot on a white or a black background, and they're beautiful. I mean, this is, you know, I could see a photo book just made from just the images that he's done so far. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Bruce? Well, the, I mean, the intent is he really wants uh, people to look into the, to the eyes of these species and make a connection with them and realize, uh, I think there was something in one of the articles, uh, the National Geographic page, um, I think they estimated that there's about 100 species that go extinct a, a day wow which is you know when you think about that it's crazy and so you know he, he sees a lot of these and thinks you know some of these species might not exist tomorrow on the planet so his goal was to to document them to put a i guess a face if you will uh, to these um animals and get people to connect and part of it too is he's selling the images so he's selling prints very reasonably and the proceeds are going towards um, this biodiversity project. Yeah, this is this yeah, is great. So. Yeah, we'll definitely link over to this. Now, now, Rick, in your your travels, how often do you get to shoot like wildlife species and that sort of thing? Well, uh, last uh, last October, my wife and I went to uh, Kenya or Kenya, as some people say, and uh, you know, there's fantastic wildlife there. So, uh, you know, and I scuba dived a lot. So I have, uh, you know, I love wildlife. But I tell people, as you know, my specialty is not specializing. But you know, talking about projects, you know. I didn't even realize this when we were talking about that, but I have uh, I have a, a book called Flying Flowers. It's a coffee table book. It came out about uh, maybe eight or ten years ago, okay. and all I did for one year was photograph butterflies. I saw these butterflies mating in uh, Butterfly World in Coconut Creek, Florida. I thought it was just so beautiful, these two clippers, an Indonesia clipper and a Philippine clipper. They were mating. I said, this is amazing. Every book, every book I've ever seen of butterflies shows dead butterflies you know yeah. and i want to do a book of living butterflies and butterflies are sometimes called uh, flying flowers so I, I did this book and uh, i had that's all i did i just uh, worked on i hatched butterfly i hatched uh, you know the, the uh, my friend from uh, butterfly world sent me uh, uh, chrysalises and caterpillars and i hatched them in my kitchen and i so i have the whole process so it was a wonderful wonderful project. Uh, I have another book, Seven Underwater Wonders of the World, and I documented the fragile coral reefs around the world, you know, trying to create a greater awareness for them. So I think I think projects are really a great way to focus your energies. But, you know, you, you have to realize, too, that, you know, all this is a business, so you should think about, yes, I'm going to do it, unless you're doing it for a hobby. You're mm -hmm. a professional. You know, you're not going to invest a year photographing butterflies <laughs> right, if, uh, right. if it's not going to pay off. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think the the takeaway for me would be just, you know, and I, I say this on the photo walks that I, I host, is, uh, you know, focus, you know, not literally, but just focus on a on a particular subject. And it's okay to to stray from that. Like, we were we were doing this photo walk in Chinatown in San Francisco, and which is overwhelming, right? I mean, you can imagine, you know, it's just overwhelming, and it's just like, okay, where do I start? So my advice to the, the folks that were with me, I think there were you know, like 50 or 60 folks there. I think it was like, you know, focus on one thing. You know, there are lots of interesting doorknobs here in Chinatown. Focus on the doorknobs. You know, you're doing a picture story on the doorknobs of Chinatown. Or you're, you're going to focus on this particular Chinese character, you know, and you're going to, you know, as in lettering. And you're going to shoot that wherever you see it. Or Chinese lanterns, you know, that kind of thing. So just, you know, as you, as you focus your work, then... You know, other opportunities, of course, will present themselves that you can do a tangent over to and say, okay, I was shooting lanterns, but that's a great portrait of that person. I'm going to shoot that too, you know, but it just makes you, it, it keeps you focused and you can, you know, sometimes get, get, get better shots because you feel like you're on a, on a particular path rather than being random. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say on that. Um, Guys, before we move on, I want to. We're going to get to the picks of the week in a second, but I want to squeeze in a couple of listener questions. Um, this is a, so, listeners, if you want to get your questions into us, you can send them in to us via Facebook or Google Plus. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, the first question that we're going to take is from Jeremy Lanthorn, 
And Jer- and I'm going to give this to you, Rick, I think. So Jeremy says, I shoot with a D90. Um, he always shoots raw. And with even with the ISO cranked up to 1,250, he has a hard time getting enough light to keep the shutter below 160th of a second when he's shooting indoors for things like birthday parties and holidays and that sort of thing. He wants to know, is there a secret to getting more light into the shadows in post or do I need to invest in a faster lens, say a 50 millimeter 1.8 or should he buy a flash? Well, as you know, you know, I'm a Canon guy so mm-hmm. with that with that camera. Rumor uh, has so it light just... Nikon and Canon both capture the same kind of light. <laughs> well, 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 here's the deal. Uh, there is a lot you could do in post processing, but for what he if he has a 3.5 lens, I would recommend going to like a faster lens. He's going to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, we talked about pocket wizards before. You know, you, there, there's a way to take a flash picture without having to look like a flash picture, basically balancing the light from the flash to the available light. Yeah. So if he wants to crank that up, you know, to as high as it goes and use a slow shutter speed, let in some ambient light and then try to fill in some of that light with the flash, you can still get the lights, the candles and stuff like that in. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm, not afri- I'm not afraid of boosting the ISO. I just uh, photo... not. Well, not just uh, a while ago, I photographed Herbie, Han- Herbie Hancock uh, in a very low light situation. His band was amazing. He's amazing. He's as has much energy as he had in nineteen uh, in the early nineteen seventies when I saw him when I went to Berkeley College of Music. But anyway, you know, I had to boost up my ISO on my on my five D Mark II to like you know thirty two hundred. Who cares if it has a little noise in it? Yeah. Um, because my father had this great expression. If a picture has so much noise in it that people notice the noise, it's a boring picture. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, not so to I, mention today's post-processing tools can help you negate some of that noise too, right? You are absolutely 100% right, Frederick. You could take out, you could reduce the noise in Photoshop, Lightroom, Aperture, uh, Noise Ninja, Nick, uh, Nick Software's uh, uh, Define. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to shoot a lot of that, I would I would get I would invest in a in a fast lens. Yeah, I think that build. would that would be my advice is uh, if you're yeah. going to be shooting that kind of stuff, then yeah, I mean post processing can get you part of the way, but you might as well you know if 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 that's the kind of photography you're going to be doing, get a faster lens. Right. You know. What about you, Bruce? You have any thoughts on that? He could open the drapes. <laughs> Even if it's at night, Bruce, really? Uh, well, you know, um, yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, the, there's a lot of post-processing tools that he that he can use. Um, that's going to segue a little into my my pick that's coming up. But there's some things coming in Lightroom Four that let you you know do some more things in the shadows. But certainly, and Topaz also has a really good uh, noise reduction plugin. So there's a lot of great post-production tools. But yeah, I would say definitely if he's if he's in that situation a lot and shooting in low light environments frequently you know it might not be a bad idea to invest or you know we always say rent if you've got an occasion coming up and you know it's going to be dark and that's the only time you're going to need that for a little while go out and rent one you know borrow lenses or one of those places can lend you a lens for a couple days and away you go absolutely borrow lenses or lensrentals.com they're yeah they're there for you all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to move on um, to the Pick of the Week segment. Um, and, Bruce, I'm going to let you go for us first so you can segue into this Lightroom 4 that you're going to talk to us about. What's your Pick of the Week? Oh, yeah, you, you, you spoiled my pick, Frederick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiled it. Okay, yeah, I spoiled it. So, so I'm a little behind. Uh, obviously, Lightroom 4 uh, beta came out while, while we were away in India. I know you guys talked about it on a few episodes mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. But nobody made it their pick. So I'm going to make Lightroom 4 uh, beta my pick. Yes. And one of the reasons that I'm uh, also doing that is, uh, you know, obviously Lightroom 4 is probably going to be coming out fairly soon. And right now you can pick up Lightroom 3 for 50% off uh, until March 5th on the Adobe Store. So for those who are maybe thinking about getting Lightroom 4, but you don't currently have Lightroom, uh, now would probably be a good time to pick up Lightroom 3. And then you'd be able to get uh, the upgrade version of Lightroom 4 when it comes out. Very cool. But in the meantime, Lightroom 4 beta is available, and there's lots of great uh, new features in Lightroom 4. What are, what are your favorite features in Lightroom 4 beta? Ooh, um, definitely the highlight and shadow recovery tools that are uh, available, and you can do now more, um, you can brush in some more control. Uh, so now they've sort of expanded the sliders and let you brush in more control uh, than you had before. Um, 
So you can also there's a bit more video support and there's book publishing uh, in Lightroom Four so far. So I haven't had a chance to play with it enough yet. I'm still just kind of got it loaded up uh, when we got back from India and uh, looking forward to uh, playing with some more of the more of the features in Lightroom Four for sure. Very cool. Well, when Adobe pushes out the full version of Lightroom Four, we'll uh, dedicate a whole lot of the show to talking about the new features in that, mm-hmm. if not the whole show. Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, Rick Salmon, what is your pick of the week? I'm, I think I'm going to go for the new Pocket Wizards. Nice. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, like I said before, that you could add so much to your photography by mastering your flash, you know, indoors and outdoors. And the key is to make your pictures not look like a flash picture like we were just talking about with the birthday party. So for wildlife people, even landscape photography, use a little bit of flash to light up a foreground. You know, it could really add a lot. So I'm going to go with the pocket wizards, the new pocket wizards. Love it. Cool. Always something new to buy. I hate these pick of the week segments. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most expensive part of the show. (laughs) It is. It is. All right. My pick of the week is, is a book from a friend of mine, Barry Anderson, um, and his co-author, uh, Jan- Janie, I think it's Janie L. Guyon. And the title of the book is DSLR Filmmaker's Handbook, Real World Production Techniques. So it's, uh, this is, I'm holding it in my hand right now. And this is, this is a thick book. So this is one of those books that if you are thinking about making a film and you just don't know where to start and there's like all these different pieces to know and all these different pieces of gear that you need to buy and how much does this thing cost and should I buy external man or monitors what kind of tripod what about lighting you know it's different from photography you know standard photography or still photography what should I get you know all that stuff is covered in this this big book and it's uh it's available on Amazon it's either you can get it as a you know, a dead tree version, which is what I have, or you can get it as a Kindle book right now. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Definitely check that out. It's called the DSLR Filmmakers Handbook, and it's pretty dang cool. All right, folks, we're at the end again. We need some end of the show music, Bruce. I mean, we need some like, <laughs> I'm so glad we had this time together music. Yeah. Sad parting music or something. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Rick Salmon, I'm going to throw it to you first. If people are looking for you online, they want to see some of that magic butterfly photography that you've done, where can they find you? Uh, RickSalmon.info. Everything is linked uh, through there, including my uh, Google Plus page. And speaking of Google Plus, I was just on Bruce's uh, Google Plus page and because uh, I've been on yours a million times, Fred. And this picture, you, ha- you have a picture here of a woman with a feather on her face. Mm-hmm. And That's an amazing shot. The lighting, the composition, the technique, the cropping, everything. Thank you. Well, awesome. Wow, Bruce, you just got an endorsement from, from Rick Salmon. Look at that. I'm blushing. <laughs> you realize that? <laughs> I know. I'm blushing. <laughs> That's awesome. You can, ra- you can raise your prices now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Bruce. Godfather has spoken. Other, other than your Google+, Plus, well, first of all, where can people find you on Google+, Plus to see that image that uh, uh, Rick's talking about? BrucePlus.com. Awesome. You, got you registered a domain. I, you I went did. to a domain. Look at that. Yep. Wow. Yep. I, yeah, I did. I did using one of our sponsors. So, um, and uh, yeah, so bruceplus.com, um, or you can head on over to our uh, blog, which is at momentsindigital.com slash blog. And actually just posted up uh, the first of probably a three or four part series of the, uh, the wedding that we did in India. So today was some of the engagement uh, photos that we took. Wow. That's awesome. And we'll be. Throwing up some more there. Yeah. And then you're so. on Twitter at twitter.com slash Bruce Clark, right? Yep. Yeah, with an E. Clark with an E. All right. All right, Bruce. Now, you've been on, you've been on several episodes of TWIP, and you've been shooting mm-hmm. weddings and portraits for a while now. You've got to be a pretty sought-after wedding and portrait photographer up there. How's that business going? Uh, you know, it's going. It's, it's winter still here, so we're not really in the thick of wedding season right now. It's still pretty chilly. Our, our wedding season really is about from June till about September. Um, so it's a pretty short season up where we are. There's, there's obviously some weddings that take place outside of that, but it's a pretty condensed, uh, wedding season up here. So I've been busy with, uh, I'm now sharing some studio space with a few other photographers oh, cool. and just on a part-time basis. So I'm using that to do more studio type work and, uh, getting in there and messing around a bit more with, uh, with studio lighting and doing more personal projects and, you know, more, uh, more portrait work. And then also doing some more commercial photography and just trying to, you know, keep uh, keep a good steady mix of, of uh, photography going. So Very cool. All right. Well, congratulations. Thanks. 
All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And uh, listeners, <clears throat> sorry about that. If you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a nice comment on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my new site, it's called Mediabytes with a Y dot com. Mediabytes dot com. It's the marketing school for creatives like you. All right, and with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> Weekend Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.